Amen. Thank you, David, and thank you, team. I want to encourage you, if you brought your Bibles tonight, to go to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verses 13 to 26 in just a moment. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 26. This is the final study in a series of study of the five main themes in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is important because it's one of the earliest uh, books that captures the teaching of the Apostle Paul regarding the Christian life. And we have already studied in previous nights what it means to be rescued. That was the first theme that we studied. The second one was justified. These are all things that are true of the believer. The third word that we studied was crucified. We saw that in Galatians chapter 2. And the fourth one was adopted. We have been adopted into the family of God. But tonight we come to this word indwelled, and it doesn't so much appear in the text as it is described in a great way in Galatians chapter 5 in particular. And so we're going to give our attention to that, and uh, it really brings together all of the other themes that we have been studying. One of the things that you and I need to, um, to keep in mind is the proper use of the word spiritual. In contemporary terms on television, or if you lived out west as we did in California, when you say someone is spiritual, you're describing some character trait of that person, uh, that they maybe are religious, so you say they're spiritual, or they're, they're sensitive to other people, and so we say they're spiritual, or they seem to have a quiet, reflective personality, and we say they're spiritual. None of those Uh, senses of the word spiritual are used in the New Testament. Always when the word spiritual is used in Scripture, it's used to describe someone or something to do with the Holy Spirit of God. There is no other way that the word spiritual is used. It's always a reference to the Holy Spirit of God. And so he is our focus tonight. And you as a Christian should know this already, that you are indwelled by this Holy Spirit that he lives in you, that he is the very spirit of Jesus Christ. He is God. He's not an impersonal force or an it. He is a person, and so in that capacity he thinks, and he expresses direction, and he has a will. He can be grieved. He can be hurt, the Bible says. He can be cut off from us and quenched, the Bible says. He is a person. He is God. As we begin, just kind of by way of review, what we're looking at tonight is how Paul explains how life in the Spirit supersedes the law. Now that's a mouthful, but Paul's purpose in writing the book of Galatians was very practical. He had come to the place and taught these individuals that life in Christ was very different than being a religious person. As as a religious person, particularly as a Jewish person, Your assignment was to keep the Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God said, I will be your God, you will be my people if you will keep this law. And so your whole effort in life was focused in trying to keep the letter of the law, something external to yourself. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, all of that changed dramatically. Now we have an indwelling spirit. And the indwelling spirit accomplishes what the law could not in the human life. This is a, really a follow-up 
what we're going to see tonight is a follow-up to Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. This isn't on the screen, but if you're able to turn to it, Paul says this in the middle of this book, of this argument, Galatians 3, 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? How does your life begin in Christ? It begins when you trust Christ. And because you've trusted him, we say that we're saved from our sins because his death on the cross accomplished that for us. He died for our sins. But the whole act of becoming a Christian is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. We call it being born again. When the Holy Spirit comes in and and causes our spirit that is dead and separated from God to now come alive. And whereas before Christ we had no ability to have contact with God. After Christ, because of the new birth, I now have a spirit that's alive. In Ephesians, he said, he's made us alive. And and that new life is through the Holy Spirit's work on the human spirit. And so he says, having begun in the spirit like that with this new birth, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? In other words, it doesn't make sense to begin life through the Holy Spirit giving you life and then to try to live the way you used to live. And unfortunately, I believe a lot of Christians are trying to live that way. We put our trust in Jesus. We've been born again. The Holy Spirit lives in us, but we don't particularly interact with him or draw life from him or direction from him. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to be good people. We're trying to keep the rules. We're trying to do the do's and not do the don'ts. And he's saying, are you trying to accomplish this new life in the Spirit using only the flesh? In his speech in the last part of chapter 2, Paul stated two theological things that he was going to argue the rest of the book. The first part is that righteousness, what we need to have a right standing with God, it never comes to you and me through works. It comes by faith in Christ Jesus alone. By simply trusting him, I'm able to secure everything that I could never do for myself. And then, so he's argued that. In two sections that we studied, in most of chapter 3 and then later again in chapter 4. But when he concludes the speech in chapter 2, he makes a statement that it was the indwelling Christ through the Holy Spirit that enables us to live out true righteousness. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that's our first hint that that the life of the Christian is very different, very different. Not something where I read what I'm supposed to do and not to do and then go out and in my strength and my effort try to do all the right things. No, I have a new life in me. And the Holy Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of Christ, he is leading me, guiding me, empowering me. And so he says, my life is over. And you'll remember if you were here that night, I brought out a tombstone. And when you trusted Christ, you were crucified with him. And that old life was put away, and this new life was begun. Well, now Paul picks up, um, and he wants to show how the Spirit achieves in the believer what the law could never do. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But before we do, I just want to simply read some scriptures to you so that If it were possible to speak in red letters, we would underscore this truth that you as a Christian are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And if you hear nothing else tonight, just listen to God's word. 
Romans 8 and verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So every Christian here tonight has the Holy Spirit living in him. You say, well, I've never interacted with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, he lives in you. It's a fact. We know it by faith, but there's so much more. So much more available to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? You should know this. You should know the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you know the Holy Spirit, he's there in you to convince you of what's right and what's wrong. He's there to guide you. He's there to lead you. In 1 John 4, verse 4, he says, You are of God, little children, meaning God is the source of your life. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Look at each other. You're looking at a temple of the Holy Spirit if you're looking at a Christian who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Colossians 1.27, we studied this last summer. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. And then Galatians 4.6, we saw this in our last study. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And those are just a few examples scattered through the New Testament of this idea that we are indwelled by God himself if we're Christians. Now, what does it mean to live as an indwelled person? This is, this is really our focus tonight. I'm going to move through this quickly, but if you're using your handout, you can take it and go back and reread it, and I trust, meditate on it until the truth becomes real to you. What does it mean to live as an indwelled person? First, it means this, serving others through love. The Holy Spirit lives in you. One of the things he's going to lead you to do is serve others through love. In verses 13 to 15, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, and liberty is from the requirements of the law. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh to do what you want to do, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. In other words, what is he saying? He's, he's really saying something very, very subtly. Uh, rule keeping was not producing better people. People who are all about keeping the rules and could tell you what's right, what's wrong all day long was not producing better people. In fact, it was producing meaner people. People who didn't know how to love. People who only knew how to tear down the brethren, but not build up the brethren. And so when the Holy Spirit is at work, he leads us to serve one another through love. It's not about a license to sin, but a new ability to serve others. He gave himself for us. He modeled service. His spirit then is going to lead us to do the same thing. This is a spiritual person. A person who knows how to serve others in love. There's a second characteristic of what it means to live as an indwelled person. It means being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. 
And, uh, and bear with me, but I really think we need to read this text. Verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How many of you struggle with the lust of the flesh? Don't raise your hand. But it should be unanimous. Do you struggle with lust of the flesh? We really need to define flesh, don't we? When we studied Colossians last year, we talked about flesh as being that part of you that is always going to want to do the opposite of what God wants. And inside every human heart, there's this, this pile of sinful desire that still exists in the human heart. And, and it, is, it is the great me. It is the I. It is me wanting to fill the needs of my life apart from God. It is me wanting to do life without God, without his involvement whatsoever. It's me wanting to rule myself. It's me wanting to make my own decisions. It's me wanting to do what I want to do, and what feels good to me in that moment. That's the flesh. And all of us struggle with the flesh. Now look at what he says here. This is an amazing thing. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, he doesn't say you won't feel it, does he? He doesn't say you're, you're, you're going to somehow not feel it anymore. You're going to feel it. But what does he say? He says you're not going to fulfill it. In other words, that desire in you, if you're walking in the Spirit, you may feel that desire, but you're not going to bring it to fruition, and you're not going to act on it. And it's not going to cause you to sin if you're walking in the Spirit. We're going to come back and look at that in a moment. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, if that's what's happening in your life, if He's leading you, you are not under the law. It's a whole different way to live. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, 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 contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You know what and the like means? It means there's more. This is not an exhaustive list of what the flesh can accomplish in you and in me. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things, in other words, it's a way of life for them. Uh, they do it without conviction, without hesitation. It is who they are. It is all that they think about. It is the way that they are wired. He says that the people who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he doesn't say you won't feel it. He says you won't fulfill it. There's a tension between spirit and flesh that keeps you from living any way that you want to live. Uh, you've got to notice that the believer still feels that in inner pull of the flesh. It says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Sometimes people will come to me in a, in a counseling setting. And they'll say, Brother Don, I struggle with, and you fill in the blank. And that's, that's what I struggle with. And I like to overcome it, and I like it to be different. But I'm really concerned that because of this struggle that I have, because I feel this inside me, how can I even be a Christian? Can a Christian want to do these things? Can a Christian desire to do these things? And I have to say, based on God's Word, absolutely. The question is, is there a struggle inside you over it? Is there a battle going on? 
Can you go do it and, and it not bother you? Can you get away with it? Can you, can you live in it? Can you keep doing it and it doesn't disturb you? The Christian is disturbed about their sin. The Christian is wrecked by the conflict that's on the inside. But listen to me. Because of that conflict, because you're telling me about that conflict, you have objective proof that, in fact, you are a Christian who's indwelled by the Spirit of God. Because I promise you, the unbeliever doesn't have that kind of struggle because they're not indwelled. So we've talked about what the flesh is and that there's a war caused inside of us because of the presence of the flesh. The Spirit does not eliminate the righteousness demanded by the law. But what he's saying here is that when I walk in the Spirit and I live under his guidance and leading in my life, that he's able to produce in me a way of living that actually is closer to what God intended through the law. But the Spirit accomplishes it in my life, not me. He accomplishes it. I can't go out and just say, well, there are the Ten Commandments. I'm going to keep all those Ten Commandments. The Holy Spirit actually accomplishes the Ten Commandments in the believer's life. Do we live perfectly? There's a struggle. And we have a battle. And will we sin? First John says, if we say we don't have sin, we're a liar and we don't do the truth. But, but is there a process by which I'm being made more, more and more like Jesus, where he's bringing me more and more my character, he's changing me and making me more like him? Absolutely. And so the Spirit's accomplishing what the law could never do. He produces the real thing. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, this is prophesied. He said, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. And he's using the passive voice here in verse 18. He says, if you are led, he's emphasizing the Spirit's work, not ours. When the Spirit leads us, the Spirit is not like the pace car at a Daytona 500, where the car just sort of gets out front and slowly accelerates and everybody follows the car. Okay? That's not what the Spirit does. He doesn't get out front and say, follow me, and we just sort of follow him. When we are led by the Spirit, it's more like the engine on the front of a train. And because he lives in us, he is going to take us there. If not, you're going to be the most miserable person in church. He's going to take you there. You can resist him, you can grieve him, you can quench him, but his work in you is to take you to a place where you are more and more like Jesus. We are led by his power. Jesus died so he could save you, but he also died so he could rule you. He rose from the grave and he died so he could be Lord, both of the living and the dead, it says in Romans. He died to rule you and me. When he leads you and you follow him, then you find that the flesh is not ruling you. You feel it, but you find a new capacity to address it and deal with it. And there's so much more we could say about this, but a person who is indwelled is a person who is being led by the Spirit. Things are brought to your mind. You are prompted you are encouraged, you are pressed, you are convinced, you are convicted. There's all kinds of words that we can use, but the Holy Spirit is there as the great prompter of God to lead you into the life that he has for you. And what a blessing. Can you say praise the Lord for that? Man, we ought to praise him for that. He did not leave us on our own. He is always with you. The Jesus you read about in the pages of the gospel is always with you. And the Spirit is to be for you all he would be if he were here in body. Number three, 
Number three, to be an indwelled person also means allowing the Father to express his character in me. To allow the Father to express his character in me. We read about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, you and I need to understand about the fruit of the Spirit is that the fruit of the Spirit is nothing more than the character of Jesus Christ. That's all the fruit of the Spirit is. And when we're walking in the Spirit, he's going to produce this fruit in us. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now notice the word fruit is singular. We tend to talk about nine fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit. It's the fruit of Christ-like character. But what does that character look like? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. That's what the character of Jesus looks like. Now, you may want to put your finger there and turn back for a moment to Galatians 2.20. Because Galatians 2.20 is such a pivotal passage here. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what what I want you to see. The word flesh is used in two different ways in Galatians. In Galatians 2.20, he says, the life I now live in the flesh. He's talking about your physical body at that point. The life I live right now, just like you sitting there in the pew, is a human being. I live in this body. And it's not me that lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God of God. Now, if you turn back to where we were, in Galatians 5.24, it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. And that's a different use of the word flesh. And it's the way that flesh was being used earlier in the chapter to describe that mountain of sinful desire that is always ready to overtake and step to the front and control you if you let it. Now, one thing we're not discussing tonight, but that you need to hear me if you're struggling with sin a particular sin in your life, a sinful desire. One of the things we learned in Colossians last summer is that, that sin is resident in us, but it is not president in us. You remember that? I love that. Sin is resident in us, but sin is not president of us. And so sin will rule only if you let it. One of the ways we overcome sin is we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. But one of the things he tells us is that you and I need to mortify our members which are on the earth. He told us that in Colossians 3. And, and, and he's talking about putting to death your members which are on the earth. Well, the members are those parts of me that live here physically on the earth. And he's saying you've got to put to death. Well, what's he referring to? He's talking about what we call the sin monster, the flesh, that every one of us has. Now, I can, I can hear the Spirit, and I can sense his prompting, and I can sense his leading, but listen to me. If I am, when no one's looking, and I'm sort of telling God, don't look at me right now, if I am feeding the monster, looking at things, talking about things, allowing things to happen in my mind, if I keep feeding the sin monster, it's going to make it very hard for me to obey the Holy Spirit. So when he talks about walking in the Spirit... That's another way of saying, don't feed the sin monster. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't have anything to do with that sinful desire. Don't feed it. Don't nurture it. Starve it to death. The important thing to notice here in verse 24 is that the flesh is crucified. And in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I am crucified. 
my old relationship to sin where sin was master and I was simply a slave to sin, that relationship has been crucified. It's over. Sin is not my master. I may feel that impulse. It may feel very strong to me. It may feel like I have no power against it, but it is different now if I know Christ and the Spirit lives in me. And I need to understand that that's true. So, the fourth thing is this. To be indwelled by the Spirit means keeping in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. In verse 25, 26, he closes this passage this way. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so the assumption is that that if I'm not walking in the Spirit, I'm more than likely going to be provoking you or envying you or some other way not relating you properly as a brother or sister in Christ. Now earlier in chapter 5 and verse 16 it said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And then here in verse 25 he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You need to know that the word for walk in verse 16 and the word for walk that appears here in verse 25 are two different words. Now this is, this is precious. This and 25 cents will make your whole night. I describe this relationship of being indwelled by the Spirit. I use four words. And you can go back and see the words I used in the handout. But God only does it with two words. In verse 16 and verse 25. In verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word for walk there in the Greek language is peripateo. Peripateo. And peripateo, uh, the peri, the first part of that, means around, and pateo means to walk. And so it means to walk around. He said if you, as you walk around, as you conduct your life, as you just live day in and day out, all, all day long, as you walk in the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, he's describing a constant communion between you and the Spirit of God. That everywhere I go, every conversation I enter into, I have the opportunity to maintain communion with God through His Spirit. And he said, if I will live that way, in constant communion with God through His Spirit, I'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then in verse 25, he uses a different word. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The second word for walk is stoikeo. And stoikeo is what you see marching bands do. When marching bands, all the instruments walk together, they are in the same step, aren't they? If one moves their leg out this way, the other one moves their leg out that way. If they turn, they all turn together and that sort of thing. Stoikeo means to keep in step with. If we live in the Spirit, he says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now think about what that means. If the Spirit steps out, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to step out. Can you imagine a relationship with God to where every time he moves, you're moving with him? Every time he wants to speak to someone through you, you're speaking. Every time he wants to accomplish something through you, you're, you're signed up and ready to go. And, and that picture of walking in the Spirit is even more intimate than the first word. Keeping in step with the Spirit. You and I have an opportunity every day. We have an opportunity right now tonight to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, those of us that know him. To open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit and to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do in the next moment, 
sign me up. I want to be used by you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to stir my heart up so that I have a greater passion and a greater devotion to Jesus than when I came in the room. And so, Lord, I just want to keep in step with you. And so in the next conversation I have, we're going to have a fellowship here in just a few moments. In the next conversation I have, Lord, I want you to use me in that moment. Holy Spirit, I want to keep in step with you. The only time that you can walk in the Spirit is now. You say, well, I'm sitting down, Pastor. You know what I'm talking about. The only time you can walk in the Spirit is now. And the only way that we can do that throughout the day is to upfront give him all the moments of our day. Give him your morning in advance. Give him your lunchtime in advance. Give him all your appointments in advance. Give him all your to-do list things in advance. Give all those things to him. The only time you can walk in the Spirit is in every moment. That's the only chance you can do it. You can't do it in the past. That's over. The, the future is not here yet. So the only time you can walk with him is in this moment. What is he saying? What is he prompting you to do? Are you having communion with him in this moment? And suddenly, the life that you and I have been given by Christ is absolutely a miracle. It is amazing what he has made available to you and me. And when you and I blow it, and we will, when you and I sin and make mistakes, we will. The Holy Spirit, he is our forever friend. Jesus said he would always be with us forever. And he will convince you when you're wrong. He will lead you to repent. He will lead you to come back to himself. And then he will keep leading you from there. He does not quit. He is the relentless, loving spirit of God. And, and we have the privilege of being rescued, of being justified, of being crucified with Christ, of being adopted and becoming literally the sons of God and the daughters of God. And then we have this amazing capacity to live differently than anybody else on the planet because the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. I want you to look at one, one last thing. How do you walk in the Spirit? Well, we've already said it involves being sensitive to Him, enjoying communion with Him throughout all the moments of your day. But I'm going to use the analogy of a GPS. Go ahead and pull that last image up. That's an old phone. But uh, some of y'all may still have that phone. And you know how a GPS works, don't you? Um, it gives you annoying directions. It talks to you. Uh, if you have one of those, it talks to you. And, and it's giving you step-by-step -step directions. Now, I kind of like to have the big picture. If we're taking a trip, I kind of want to know all the turns that i got to make ahead of time. I'd like to have that in my head. But when, when you're doing step-by-step -step directions with a GPS, uh, it says, now, turn right here and you turn right and then it says in two miles take a left on such and such street okay and then it comes back again in case you didn't hear that and it says in one mile and then it says turn now and then what I love about the GPS is when I make a wrong turn uh, at least mine doesn't you need to get a new one if yours does but it doesn't laugh at me it doesn't say, Pusick, you're such a nimwit. You made that wrong turn. It doesn't do that. It just says, it says at, the next, at the next corner, turn left. And what it's going to do, it's going to make a big turn. It's going to take you back the other direction. It just starts over again, just keeps going. You know the Holy Spirit does that with you and me. 
He speaks to us, and he is prepared to give you and me day by day, moment by moment, turn by turn directions that we need in our daily life. He's prepared to do that. Do you believe that? Do you believe when he says, keep in step with the Spirit, that that's something you and I can do? He wouldn't tell us anything that's not true. And so we have this, this capacity, just like a, a piece of electronic gadgetry, only much, much better. They have this living person who's acting as our navigator through life and giving us the power to do everything he tells us to do. Tonight, one of the verses we read earlier challenged you and me to examine ourselves. Does the Holy Spirit live in me? Does he live in me? Now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you know that you have trusted him, and that he has saved you, then you may just need to take it by faith, especially if you're a young Christian. Sometimes we're not always conscious of the work of the Spirit right away. But I'm telling you, if you've been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you can't answer the question of whether the Holy Spirit lives in you, something's terribly wrong. Something's terribly wrong. He didn't come into your life just to sit there and do nothing. He didn't come to be a silent witness to your misbehavior. He's going to convince you and me when we're wrong. And he comes into our life to change us and make us like Jesus. And only you can answer that question. Does the Holy Spirit live in me? If not, you're not his. Do you need to trust Christ tonight? He not only died for your sins so that you can be forgiven for the penalty of sin, but he died so that you could be delivered from the power of sin and sent you his Holy Spirit to enable you to overcome sin in your life. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're going to have a time of response before we go to our reception for the Burdishaws. But before we go, can we take a moment and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me what my action needs to be? What are you saying to me? Maybe you already know. How do you need to respond to him? What's he saying to you? Other pastors are here at the front. I'll be here at the front. We'll be glad to pray with you, counsel with you, share scripture with you. If you need to come to the altar, you've got a burden that you're carrying, you want to unload it, sometimes it's helpful to get up, slip out of the pew or the balcony and come. Unburden your heart. Give it to the master. Become the kind of person who lives a dependent life. Let him lead you guide you in these moments. Father, thank you for your word. Always thank you, Lord, for its power and the way that you apply it to our hearts. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus, and we ask that through your spirit you would guide us now as we respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.